Let's say you're on the bus back from work. Across the street, you see a bunch of pedestrians all huddled round a shop. You keep glancing at them, trying to figure out what they're looking at. Is there a fight going on in the shop, or are they just watching something on the TV? In this scenario, you're being influenced by something called social proof. It means you become interested in something because others are already interested in it. It's an established nudge that was first noted way back in 1935. To talk you through this, I'm going to speak to Steve Martin. Steve Martin is CEO at Influence at Work UK and visiting professor of management practice and behaviour science at Columbia University Graduate School of Business. He's also a Royal Society nominated author and New York Times bestseller. In this chat, he explains the power of social proof and he starts by introducing a seminal study one of his colleagues conducted. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. One of the important things I think I, I do first is acknowledge the incredible influence that Noah's original work this was conducted now back in 2007 and 2008, as actually had not just on our understanding of social proof and social norms, but how we now incorporate these behavioral insights and behavioral science into uh, a wide variety of different domains, not just in business, but in public policy as well. And a lot of the roots can be traced back to this set of studies that Noah conducted what he found was that by simply signalling on those little cards in hotel bathrooms that previous guests that had stayed uh, in that hotel had uh, used their towels, which is true, actually. You know, uh, most people, uh, if they stay for three nights or longer consecutively in a hotel, will reuse their towels and linens at least once. So he was able to honestly point out that, you know, the majority of guests who stay in our hotel reuse their towels. Please do the same. And as a result, was able to increase towel reuse by future guests by somewhat somewhere up to 26%. Now this might sound insignificant initially, but really think about what Noah's discovered here. 
By simply stating that other people in the hotel reuse their towels, guests are 26% more likely to reuse theirs. The control in this scenario, by the way, isn't no card at all. It's a card talking about the environmental effects of reusing towels. So it's not just the fact that Noah added some messaging, it's actually down to social proof. It's an impressive change, especially when you consider that there's absolutely no extra spend. Most high-expense marketing campaigns the hotel could put towards this would have probably a smaller effect. But social proof can't just be used for towels or hotels. It can be used across all types of consumer decisions and consumer purchases. Richard Shotton, in his book The Choice Factory, found really similar results in an English pub. He set up a study by convincing the owner of a South London brewery to place a tiny sign next to one of his beers. The sign said, best selling beer this week. That was it. Nothing else. No info about its taste, no info about its price. That simple sign boosted sales of that ale by two times compared to previous weeks. The evidence is clear. Using social proof increases the chances your product will be bought. But you can go even further than just shouting about your popularity. I'll let Steve talk through the next part of Noah's experiment. What he also found was that by, instead of just pointing to what many previous other guests had done, if he actually then signalled that there was some connection or similarity between those previous guests and the current one. For example, by pointing out most other people that have stayed in this room before you you know, room 107, room 12, 26, whatever it may be, reuse their towels. He got a 33% increase. So what we find is that social proof messages become even more effective when they're more relevant. Stating that people in this room reuse their towels is even more successful than just saying people in this hotel reuse their towels. Costa Coffee, the UK's largest coffee chain, used this tailored approach in one of their recent campaigns. The ads referred to their popularity not just amongst general consumers, but specifically amongst coffee lovers. They claimed that the connoisseurs of coffee picked Costa more than anyone else. By focusing their message and making it even more relevant, they boosted sales by 5.5% on a like-for-like basis, which is a really significant improvement for an established brand. Steve goes on to describe more ways that this can be used. So the first insight there for us in terms of using this idea of others' behaviour is that we don't necessarily follow just what everyone is doing, but we are more inclined to follow what lots of people who we have some shared similarity or connection to are doing. And so, you know, it strikes me that one immediate application there is you know when we're using testimonials for example in business there's often you know an understandable motivation i think to point out those previous companies testimonials that our agency or our company have actually worked with that we're proudest of you know we did this great work with british airways for example or american express or you know these you know these big you know multi-billion dollar organizations we're proud of those pieces of work but if they don't necessarily reflect or match in terms of similarity the group or the audience that we're trying to influence at that moment in time they might make us feel good about ourselves but they know they won't necessarily be influential or optimally persuasive so the advice here is is that you know when using these social proof messages these social norm messages you know pointing out what others have done in previous situations. We want to make them uh, as closely matched, and we want to resemble 
that audience that we're looking to influence at that moment in time. And so you know, that subsequently led to the insights that, uh, you know, rather than write to people and say most people in the UK pay their taxes on time, if we instead say most people in your postcode or your, the name of your town, you get increases in tax returns and you can save hundreds of millions of pounds as a result of doing that. <laughs> So I'm just going to take a minute to explain the study Steve's referring to here because the results of this study are, are really incredible. So back in 2009, Steve and his team at Influence at Work tried to help Britain's HMRC with an age-old problem, the problem of returning taxes on time. Too many citizens just don't submit their tax returns on time, which in turn costs the government millions. For many years, officials at HMRC tried to solve this problem with a variety of communications directed at these late payers. Most of these letters and messages focused on the consequences late payers would face if they failed to respond and pay on time. You know, stuff like interest charges, fees, even legal action. This approach made a small improvement, but not what HMRC were looking for. So in collaboration with Steve's team, they took a different approach. Interestingly, Steve only wanted to make one small change to their standard letters. All they did was add a single sentence. The change, which you can probably expect, utilises social proof. It informed recipients simply and truthfully of the large number of citizens who actually pay their taxes on time. For example, it would say that 96% of UK taxpayers pay their taxes on time. This tiny change had a huge effect. The new letters contributed to the collection of 5.6 billion more overdue revenue than had been collected in the previous year. 5.6 more just by using social proof. However, as Steve alluded to, the team were able to make even more improvements by just adding more relevant detail. Steve's team emphasised the people who paid their taxes on time in your specific postcode. That approach yielded a response rate of 79% compared to the typical response rate of just 67%. Anyway, back to Steve who explains how his team used social proof to stop fair dodges on public transport. And most recently, Phil, we've we found that similar effect in transportation. So uh, along with a team of colleagues of mine, uh, Influencer Work has been running uh, now uh, seven uh, field experiments in transport uh, in Ireland, in Australia, and a uh, number of cities across France, pointing out how other people that are traveling on this light rail system or this bus have done the honest thing and validated their ticket or their card when they've got on board leads to significant reductions in dishonesty and free riding on transport systems to the point where, you know, in Australia, for example, we've recently uh, shown that we can save, you know, several million dollars, Australian dollars a month in savings lost traditionally to kind of free riding and dishonesty by just simply pointing out that most people that use the transport system are honest. And to then, um, if you point out the similarity by saying most people on this line or at this, this particular terminal or stop, uh, it, it has an increased effect as well. So that's kind of the story of how Noah's original work in the intercontinental hotel chains in 2007 has had a huge influence over the use of um, these insights about other people's behavior and how it's now affected not just business, but uh, public policy and, and is realizing literally hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds and dollars in, in savings and in um, you know, increased efficiencies. 
But it's not just the public sector where social proof is used. There are dozens or hundreds of successful examples of businesses utilising this approach as well. Whiskers, who manufacture cat food in the UK, have had a long-running ad campaign that claimed 8 out of 10 cat owners said their cats prefer whiskers. This basic approach doesn't just have to be used in messaging, but also at point of sale. McDonald's famously displayed restaurant signs saying how many customers it had served. In 1955, that counter reached 1 million. In 1994, it reached 99 billion. Despite social proof being an age-old tactic, it's becoming increasingly important and increasingly used in e-commerce. ShopDirect, who own brands like Very and Littlewoods in the UK, used social proof messages at the point of purchase. They'd send messages emphasising scarcity and popularity, saying, for example, 10 other shoppers are looking at this coat or this bag, or these shoes have already been purchased five times in the last hour. These relevant messages boosted conversion rates by 2.7% on the site, resulting in £14 million in additional revenue. Now, you might be tempted to add social proof to absolutely all of your marketing after listening to this podcast, but you need to be aware that social proof can backfire. Negative social proof is when social proof is used in such a way that it can actually have the opposite effect to that intended. Evidence for negative social proof actually originates in research and studies conducted by Steve Martin and his colleagues Noah Goldstein and Robert Caladini. Their research was conducted in Arizona's National Park. The forest there had a major problem. It contained a notable amount of petrified wood, which is fossilised wood, essentially. At the time, the wood was being regularly stolen from the forest by people who went to visit. The problem got so bad that the site became one of America's 10 most endangered national parks. So to help combat the issue, um, park directors or park rangers started to erect these signs. Now these signs would say messages to try and deter people from stealing petrified wood. They would say, one for example said, your heritage is being vandalised every day by the theft of petrified woods at 14 tonnes a year, mostly one small piece at a time. So what's interesting about this message is they seem to be using a form of social proof. They say that lots of people are doing a particular activity. The problem is that the sign and the message actually emphasises the negative activity rather than a positive activity. The team of Steve, Noah and Robert were actually worried the signs were encouraging more stealing as the signs were essentially declaring that so many other people were stealing. The team tested this hypothesis by placing petrified wood at three spots close to paths in the park. On two of the three routes, they erected signs to discourage stealing, while the third route was left without a sign as a control. The two signs that discouraged stealing were slightly different. The first simply explained the impact of stealing. It said, please don't remove the petrified wood from the park. It's changing the natural state of the forest. The second used social proof, but in the wrong way. It said, many past visitors have removed wood from this park, changing the natural state of the forest. The second sign, due to the negative social proof, actually tripled the number of thefts when compared to the first sign. In fact, people were two times more likely to steal when they saw this sign compared to when they saw no sign at all. Amazingly, negative social proof is used everywhere, essentially by accident, with many marketers and advertisers not realising that there's a problem with this messaging. Wikipedia, for example, states on its webpage that only a tiny proportion of our readers donate money. That type of messaging actually encourages readers to give less or not give at all. An NHS Give Blood campaign once publicised that only 4% of people in the UK donate blood. Again, that makes people more comfortable with the fact that they're not giving blood at all. 
Take a look around and you'll probably start to see dozens of examples of negative social proof being used incorrectly all over the place. For example, only today I received an email from an event I was looking at attending which stated that only 100 people had bought early bird tickets suggesting that you should buy one because they're, they're, they're still available. All of these messages or messages like this incentivize the wrong actions. These communications fail because they stress that unwanted behaviour is actually commonplace, making you feel comfortable and compliant with that unwanted behaviour. We're all social animals and we mimic others. And this can be used to encourage actions like tower use at a hotel or beer sales at a pub. But it can also backfire if used in the wrong way. So that's it for me today. Hopefully you found this episode about social proof quite interesting. If you do marketing or sales or need to influence and persuade people, take a look at the type of communications and messages you use and see if you can utilise any of the tactics we've talked about today. Huge thank you again to Steve Martin for joining me. If you found any of this interesting, then I highly recommend purchasing Steve's book, The Small Big. It contains 52 insights like the ones we've talked through today about how to influence and persuade. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Nudge, the Consumer Psychology Podcast. 